1: you. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma. And we're here to celebrate the champion Cubs. For the second time in recent memory, the Cubs are champions of the league. That is a true <laughs> statement.
2: You cannot find any lies, no lies told.
1: That's, yes. Of course, I refer to the South Bend Cubs and the Midwest League Uh, but this is their second championship of uh, in that league in the last few years Uh, the South Bend Cubs being the Cubs high a affiliate They, they just won their championship last night and I did want to start with that I mean it's a I make the joke about it but the reason I want to start with it is you know we can mention some of the prospects but speaking more generally you know wins and losses at the minor league level we've talked about this before are not necessarily a great indicator of prospect talent for future big league use Uh, and furthermore playoff wins when you're talking about series that are only three games um, and there's generally only two levels uh, of the playoffs so you know the South Bend Cubs won two short series to take their championship you know how much does that actually prove or demonstrate or whatever for the future but I want to sit on that just a moment to note that i do think there is some value i think it is particularly true where you've got a group of players with the south bend team many of whom started the year at myrtle beach in low a, uh, part of a really dominant team there uh, got promoted coalesced around a group that had started at south bend that team got really really good in the second half And then, you know, went through the playoffs and won. And I'm watching videos from them last night and just seeing how excited they are as the game's going on, how pumped, how much they clearly wanted to win this championship. And I think there's probably some marginal value there of of experiencing that as part of your development process, experiencing the winning, experiencing playoff baseball, experiencing it together with perhaps some players that you will continue to play with up the ladder. Um, I, I think... You know, I don't want to I don't want to go overboard on it, but I think there's some real value there.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, sometimes player development becomes too individualized and too focused on one specific player that the team aspect gets overlooked. And while it's very possible to have a solid system and not have a bunch of great uh, minor league teams, uh as far as one loss record i think it it's just a good indicator of the depth and the talent that's in this system right now especially at the lower levels there uh double a and below even uh there's you know i I, there's value in these guys winning together in understanding what it takes to win and having that mentality of wanting to win and and really enjoying it and savoring it and having a little bit of edge when they're on the field and uh beating up on the opposition i think all those are little little factors not the you want talent and you want uh skills that you really know how to develop and uh, can develop to bring up to the major leagues but these these little things like that these the, while winning isn't doesn't seem like it's always a priority in the minors, I think there's a ton of value in that. One thing that I, I'm working on a piece, I, I, I it, it kind of struck me over the past couple of days looking at these box scores, looking at these lineups, looking at the numbers on fan graphs. They have so many guys who we don't consider top prospects having really good seasons offensively. We talk about the pitching depth. Uh, but there's there's a couple guys on this South Bend team that stick out to me. Uh, BJ Murray, Jordan Wogu. And Wogu was like a second or third round draft pick third, in the 20, yeah,
1: 2020 20 draft? Third third round pick in the pandemic draft.
2: Right. And he looked like he just wasn't he, – he was a mess, right? He looked like he was a mess. He was going to strike out too much and didn't really have a carrying skill. Even though I talked to some scouts outside the org who always liked him and thought he would hit – Uh, something there clicked uh, because he's he's hitting now and uh, I mean they have a couple of these guys that if you just like compare 2019 or 2018 and look at everyone in the minors in the Cubs system that has like a 120 weighted runs created plus and above and I I was looking like 2019 there were 14 guys and I think like 11 of them were like a rookie league or, or a short season ball Robel Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. Or Robel Garcia. Exactly. Stuff that guys that like too old for triple a guy that should get a cup of coffee has earned his cup of coffee in the big leagues or, or guys that are dominating the uh, rookie league or, uh, the non full season leagues, right. That, which there's only one of now, uh, you know, one in Florida and one in Arizona, uh, This year, there's about, I I can't remember the number now, but it's around 14, and like nine or 10 of them are all full season leagues, uh, guys. And half of those guys are guys that, you know, aren't superstars, but they are, you know, like, Guys that it's like, okay, I need to start asking about this guy. I need to ask around about this guy. Well, this isn't Kevin Alcantara or Owen Casey or or Pete Crow Armstrong. Guys that we know to talk about, that we know to ask uh, scouts about. But, you know, B.J. Murray, uh, Jordan Nwogu, uh, Jonathan Perlaza. I mean, these are all guys that you start to wonder like, okay, they had one success story over the past like decade in David Bode, right? And, and I know fans get frustrated by David Bodie, but if you have six of those guys popping every season, you know, uh, if you have random guys popping, maybe one of them turns into, uh, like, an all-star. Maybe one of them just turns into an everyday player. Maybe one of them turns into a bench guy. Uh, like, any of that, obviously, the all-star and the everyday guy are valuable, but even the bench guy, if you're producing those guys through your system... Uh, that's that's huge i think that's a it's a nice little uh part of the system that we need to keep watching and keep tabs on over the next couple years because if they can if they can produce quality players like that uh we've talked about okay do they have that impact superstar i'm not sure if they do i I think there's some really talented players in the system but uh, just the fact that they're able to maybe build this depth up too uh I find that really interesting and I'm curious what all these players are and maybe what's going on in the Cubs system as far as development goes like do they have they they seem to have the right people in place
1: as far as coaching and instruction goes and that's that's a good sign as well yeah I was thinking about it in terms of you know if we took the South Bend Cubs in particular and you look up and down the roster and you know time was the reason the reason you can't always look at wins and losses at the minor league level as an indicator of prospect talent is because there are age disparities, you know, sometimes you might have significantly older prospects playing against significantly younger prospects on other teams. Uh, you might have sort of, I I can't ever think of the right way to say this in a non deprecating way, but you might have organization guys who are a lot older and experienced veterans that can perform very well at a certain level, but everybody kind of knows they're either being cultivated as a future coach or they don't really have a long-term future. They're, they're never going to make the big leagues, even in a, a fringe capacity, etc. But you go over this South Bend roster and I swear to you, man, it is virtually top to bottom. Even guys that are getting squeezed out of playing time sometimes, it, it's, they may not be impact prospects, but they're guys that you're like, you know, that's possible. I could see it this performance at this age at this level is is impressive and i think uh it's on the pitching side too i mean that the that that rotation and that bullpen are just full of guys that you're like oh yeah maybe and uh that hasn't been the case i mean i'm a i'm a prospecting nerd and so i follow these teams pretty closely and you know, typically it's you've got three or four guys on a team to discuss and be like, yeah, that's a possible future big leaguer. It's like the whole roster yeah. right now for for
2: some. Of this. I mean, I'll I'll tell you, I had in Wogu and most of that 2020 draft written off. Uh, I I was done and I was like, all right, time to move on and and pay attention to other prospects. But over the last, I don't know, two months, month and a half, I don't know what it is, but it's not just like, oh, he's been okay. Like he's turned into it's like his and his season line now is good. It's not just like a couple months uh, that like, okay we can we should keep track of this because he got hot at the end of the season. It's like if you look at I mean, if you look at his overall season numbers, they're like, huh, that's really interesting. What what's going on here? And I'm good. That's like I have a phone call set up for tonight. And that's one of the main guys I want to ask about and figure out what's going on there and when when there are rail changes being made and stuff like that that makes it all the more interesting right like so let's find out what's going on here what sort of adjustments do they make that the Cubs have been really good about also like take you'll notice there there are times when guys don't play for like a week or two weeks or uh, even five days or something right like I've just, had to
1: adjust I've had to adjust yeah it
2: and you're like is that guy injured it's like no they they sometimes they get put on the developmental list sometimes they don't sometimes they just take them and they just go work with them and they they're finding very specific things that they work on it happened to triantos twice over the course of the season and both times he came back and he was hot and it's like wow okay it's it's one thing to i mean my favorite one is owen casey go look at like there's a big gap at the end you can see when they
1: set him down yeah
2: yeah And then since then it's like his overall numbers didn't fully recover from the awful april uh because april was so bad because he's been a star since then i mean the overall numbers are still good but they don't they don't like pop out to you but he's been amazing since that like april that was like a negative something weighted runs created plus
1: It, it was like one of the worst in terms of production worst bats in the minor leagues now it was a very yeah. aggressive assignment right cold weather all of that kind of stuff and you just you know whatever it's easy to to, to throw away but but yes yeah, the point is it was the depths to which it was made it in pretty hard to recover the season-long numbers but you know if there were real changes that manifested in the results he got after that which are fantastic especially for his age at that level that's when you do start to yeah get really excited about a, a season's worth of development, even if the slash line at the end of the year doesn't look great. Of note, that South Bend team also features another of the 2020 draft picks. Uh, I mean, Ed Howard, of course, famously is the first round pick from that draft. And he's been out after the hip injury earlier this year at South Bend. But uh, Luke Little, the fourth rounder, the the giant uh, who the Cubs have been developing very slowly, very methodically, uh, limited dose outings. And I think his if you watch him, his delivery and his body and his style it's it's going to scream reliever to you and and that's fine they've been pitching him in sort of three inning doses and he's been one of the most successful pitchers in the system this year so it's cool to see him also uh you know reach south Bend. you think about matt mervis as an undrafted signing that year ben leaper that might end up turning into a decently productive group for the cubs even though it was a shortened draft and uh, Ed Howard is now a big question mark because of the injury and Burl Caraway obviously he's had his significant struggles. It's pretty hard to have a productive draft when your first yeah. two picks maybe turn into nothing for you. And But that's what we're talking about. It's like, that's what the Cubs need to be able to do. And they didn't for a very long time. That's why David Bodie stands out to us. Cause it was like, Hey, there's a late round pick that, you know, was not expected and then turned into a contributor. Um, so I, I also mentioned, maybe I'll ham fist a segue here so speaking of Luke Little getting (laughs) three inning burst outings uh, and having a lot of success with that uh, we had last night at the big league level finally the return of Keegan Thompson who uh, sat down for about a month with a lower back issue that I have no doubt was legitimate in the sense that like all of us often have some back tightness that it's like "Ah, I can't be at my best right now because I'm not feeling great. Um, but it also just made sense to give him a nice big break in a year where he has pitched more than he ever has before and uh, had he had already established a lot of what he could be for the Cubs going forward, which was the, the whole point of this year. And so it was nevertheless nice to see him back. And he looked as good as he's looked all year. I mean, he was his uh, velocity was great. The movement on his, uh, off-speed and breaking pitches were fantastic. The Marlins, it's not a world-beating lineup, but they just looked hopeless against him. He struck out six of the 11 batters he faced. Um, I mean, it was just just dominant. He just looked absolutely dominant. And it, it made me go back to review his splits this year um, as a reliever and as a starter. And we know that the starting stats are tainted would be the wrong word because that implies that it's like there's no signal there but they are uh moved considerably by some like really substantial blow-up starts there at the end before the back issue took him out um but the splits are stark i mean his his numbers as a reliever keeping in mind these are as these are multi-ending relief appearances Uh, his numbers are ridiculous i mean it's like a Barely above one ERA, strikeout rates near 30, walk rates much lower than as a starter. The soft contact rate is like 35%, some ridiculous number. Um, and then as a starter, it, it, uh, it's like they're barely playable numbers. Now, we know that we watched him and we know he had very successful starts. So it's, you know, but but the question I have when I see him come back and I see him once again, we get that short burst. 50 pitches, roughly, one time through the order, and you see how good he can be. Um, And then you think to the times we've seen him start, going back to last year, where it seems like figuring out how to appropriately conserve stuff to try to get through six-plus innings and still miss bats and still get soft contact has seemed like a particular challenge for him. That is not to say he can't take another step forward next year and develop into that, but it's like, at what point do you decide you know what? You're so good at this uniquely valuable role. We want to try to figure out how to optimize how we can use you in that role because you can't just have like, it's a three inning reliever or whatever in your bullpen. It's good to have, but like, you have to know when you're going to be able to deploy that guy. You have to be a little more systematized about it in order to get maximum value. And so I I just, it made me wonder like, at what point do you Make a decision like, no, we're we're really going to try to put put the foot down on you being a multi-inning relief weapon for us. And basically, same question on Albert Alzai, who also, he's been in two inning doses since he returned, and he's looked fantastic.
2: Right. right. And um it's made me think of a few things, right? I've been thinking about this, watching them the last few days that they've been up, that well, Keegan was just back yesterday, but just... How does how does it work when you have these multi-inning weapons over the course of a full season? Uh, Ross kind of said, you know, Keegan's va- like, what's the value there when, when they were discussing the starting pitcher versus relief pitcher earlier in the season? He's like, do I want someone who I can use every four days for three, four inning bursts or someone who pit starts every fifth day? Right. And maybe gives me six if if things go well. Right. Uh, well, what's more valuable? And I, I think that kind of told us, OK, so that's his thinking. Every fourth day he can go to Keegan and give him three inning bursts. But now I start to wonder, well, what if it's? a three-inning burst he gets those four days rest and he can go an inning day off inning uh, then two days off and then give you two and a third and then go a couple days off right like what what is the mix it doesn't have to be three inning bursts every single time right especially
1: because you can't count on oh it just happens that in four days from now we needed three innings right
2: so There's so many things that uh, I think are valuable here. First of all, you don't have to go into next season and say, let's force them into this starters role because we need starters, right? You want what we've been talking about for a while now, go out and get starting pitchers right so that uh, keegan thompson is depth so that uh, even hayden Wisneski, javier assad uh even alzali these guys are all depth pieces uh to the rotation not guys that they're relying on absolutely we need these guys to perform for 30 plus starts otherwise we can't win uh and, and you go into the season with with a rotation that is mostly veterans, you go into the season with an upgraded offense uh, in theory, right? What's the worst thing that happens then? If everything improves with the starting rotation and, and the offense, that the bullpen becomes this Achilles heel where they don't hit on those veterans, right, Where that they've hit on uh, the last couple of years. And suddenly you're like, oh, what is the most demoralizing thing for a team that's playing well in all other facets whenever their bullpen blows it, right? That's really hard to stomach for a team, for a manager, uh, as a whole. It, it just really can sink a season. If they have, right now, looking at next year, they have three guys locked in that I feel good about. Uh, if if it works out this way, where Keegan, Alzalai, and Brandon Hughes are all relievers that you're like, huh, that Those guys are good to great in, in relief roles, right? If, if you have three already set and the Cubs are pretty good at getting veterans in, then you have a couple up and down guys that, that you hope can pop next year, maybe one or two of them pop. That's a nice setup to have to kind of alleviate any concerns that, well, we're spending money on the starters and the, and the offense. Are we going to get sunk by our bullpen? It's still possible. I'm not saying that they won't get sunk by their bullpen if everything else improves next year, but I'm saying I I really like how it looks with Alsay and Thompson in the bullpen if you can go out and fill the rotation with other guys cuz suddenly you're talking about a really good group of relievers, uh, a young group and and we haven't even talked about the guys that, you know, showed flashes this year uh that that haven't really established themselves in our eyes at least of like yep you can count on that guy to to give you a full season of quality relief innings you know it's
1: important to mention too in this talk about guys who are um you know have been starters throughout their minor league career they get up approaching or just into that big league level and they are faced with this issue you know it's, it's different for every pitcher but it you know usually comes down to you know how well do they hold their stuff and their mechanics through 70 plus pitches um how diverse are their pitches or their ways to shape their pitches so that they can you know face batters multiple times um how consistent are they from start to start etc cetera, etc cetera. they're sort of the separators for guys who've been able to start all the way through the minors very effectively and then you're just facing superior hitters in the big leagues. And um, I think we, I I wouldn't say we forget sometimes, but we have to be reminded that a lot of the best relievers in the big leagues were starters the whole way through the minors. And it was just eventually realizing, you know, it's not going to happen in the big leagues, but let's see what we can do with you in shorter doses. And then boom, you're a fantastic reliever. That's not a, bad outcome that isn't like I mean I get that you know a guy like Keegan Thompson for example he wants to start in the big leagues he's been a starter his whole life he's he's so close to being very good at it in the big leagues like I get it I would want that too um, but we can't look at it as this like uh, failure or disappointing outcome because the, the related reality is you know you look through a farm system the Cubs have a ton of these guys that are coming up as relievers well they look great but they're not competing with the current starting pitchers in the minor leagues who may end up future relievers. So, I mean, you've got to be really damn good as a relief only prospect to actually make it to the big leagues and compete. And so I, sometimes I think we fans convince ourselves, like, man, they're just so loaded with relief prospects. The bullpen's going to be great and fine. But you also, I think, the best organizations have a lot of quote failed starters that end up ticking over into the bullpen. And that's where you end up getting a lot of your good relievers from. And so that's a roundabout way of saying, I'm like you too, that when I think about the bullpen for next year, it's having depth starters like Keegan Thompson or Albert Alzali or maybe even Javier Assad that like may get forced into the bullpen. That makes you confident about having good pitchers in the bullpen. Um, just because they're not, quote, relievers, doesn't mean they wouldn't actually be better than some of the, quote, relievers that you have available. And again, I think these are like, not new topics in the baseball world, but for a lot of Cubs fans, these are new things to be thinking about in the coordination of starters and relievers because they're just, when in the last decade have we had the opportunity to talk about so many emerging starters and so many emerging relievers that you've got to even think about what's the best role and how many days of rest and which veterans to pursue and free agency, because, you know, you want to coordinate with your internal guys. Um. Right. So I just mentioned a bunch
2: of potential like starters, right? And you know who I didn't mention? I didn't mention Caleb Killian, who what three months ago was the talk of the system as far as pitching goes. Uh, like you said, a few years ago, if if that had happened, we'd be we'd still be talking about it like oh, Cubs finally had a pitching prospect, and now all of a sudden he can't find the strike zone, and it'd be a
1: disaster,
2: right? Now it's just like okay, that's not great. You'd you'd prefer that he continued to dominate. Uh, you know, he got sent back down and dominate Triple A. Well. Uh, but it's not the end of the world because there's Wisneski, there's Assad, there's uh, I mean Keegan and Steele and I also lie up in the big leagues. There's Ben Brown and Jordan Wicks and DJ Hurz at Double A, and there's Porter Hodge and Daniel Palencia and and Luis Devers in in Single A. Like that's insane. That's not how it was three years ago even. <laughs> uh, so it's completely changed, and and it's. It's a good thing. It's, you don't want Caleb Killian to struggle, but you also, it's not the end of the world. It's not a disaster scenario where everyone was leaning on, you know, relying on this kid to, to be the next great starter. Uh, And, and it's, it's, it's not a good outcome, but it's not. It's it's not like they can't recover. Uh, they already have. I mean, we've seen what Wisniewski's done in in a short burst. Not not giving him, uh, you know, handing him a rotation spot or saying he's the next great starter or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, that's what it means to have a deep system. Cubs fans need to get used to this, and they need to understand that. Uh, I mean, the game's also different, right? Uh, when when you talk about Keegan Thompson not not turning into a starter or maybe not turning into a starter that's okay that's it that outcome is actually really valuable now that that multi-inning guy the other thing is if if they go into the season next year and they have five starters that you really that they like more than Keegan Thompson and and Wisniewski and all those guys that doesn't mean that by July and August Wisneski and or Keegan aren't starting every fifth day uh, hopefully that means that they've pushed their way into that role rather than there's been a bunch of injuries and the Cubs have fallen out of contention, right? I don't think fans want that, but it, whatever this scenario is, just if they, if they start the season in the bullpen or in triple a, I'm talking about Wisneski in that case. Uh, that doesn't mean it's over uh, for Thompson to be a starter and, uh, especially Thompson, maybe Alzelay, maybe that, I don't know if that ship has sailed fully, but I think it, you know, with all the setbacks he's had in his career right now, I think you focus on, on relief Uh, with Keegan. I think it's just, there's still time to develop. There's still time to figure it out as far as uh, you know, what his long-term role is and he can, he can earn his way back into the rotation. Uh, I just think, going into next season with him penciled into the rotation
1: would be a failure of an offseason. Yeah. I think um, it's better to have the problem of good players being forced out of uh maximum usage rather than maybe good players being forced into maximum usage because you just you don't have enough. And um I think you know we see this every year that if you go back and look at the average team's Numbers by the end of the season, the, the the number of pitchers who made at least five starts for a team. It's never five. It's never five pitchers. It's like seven, eight, nine every time, every team. Those those starts become available, and um, the the two ways you cover that are to have relievers who can step in and give you a spot start if necessary. Cool. Check. Seems like Cubs might have a lot of those guys, and having big league caliber. Optionable starters at AAA and boom, check. Yes, seems like the Cubs love those. And um, I I just think it's maybe we'll like wind down the conversation here because it harkens to an off season where we've said this a whole bunch. The Cubs have no limitations, you know, having all of these guys, having depth on the positional side too. Like it, it, it's more reason to add impact. In free agency and in trade, because then you've got the depth part covered. You've got the oh shit stuff happens in June and July. You've got that part. And what you don't have are the impact guys at the top, whether it's the front of the rotation or whether it's in the middle of the order, Um, you know, good teams they have more players than they can use and uh, that's that's what the goal should be these, this this offseason because when we talk through the at the granular level like what's going to happen with Keegan Thompson or what's going to happen with Adonis like we always keep coming back to well you know the their options situation and their role situation create the flexibility that allow you to do anything in the offseason whatever the best impact comes from where you can do it because these guys exist and so um I just think that's that makes what's potentially going to happen this offseason all the more exciting because it's, um, you know, the Cubs have opportunities that they haven't had before or, or at least options that they haven't had before and then opportunity to add impact at the right time with plenty of money available. Uh, you know, it's been a while since they've been in this spot. Uh, all right. That's all I got. You got anything you want to you want to throw on there? No. No. Nope. Um, all right. All right. Well, good chat. This is uh, on to Waveland. It's Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. Get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's of Sharma. Get his at The Athletic. He and Mooney just put out uh, a great mailbag. If you want to read their thoughts on some of the things that you're maybe shouting at your speaker right now, you're like, I want to ask you this. Well... Someone may have asked it in that mailbag. So check it out. And we will be back at you after the weekend. Cubs, pirates, uh, pirates coming fresh off of a whole lot of, you know, history and excitement in New York. So boy, the the Cubs can just take advantage of that uh, energy letdown and, you know, keep, keep their hot streak going. They can't lose. What did I see? They cannot lose a hundred games now. Maybe we already talked about that. on Monday. Maybe I was already excited about that on Monday. (laughs) Um, I think I was, actually. So it's still true, though. Still can't (laughs) lose 100. Um, And we'll talk to you after the weekend, folks. Uh, Have a good one.